rotates. 360 degrees. High high. 360 degrees. High high. 306. 306. 360 degrees. High high. Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio program is produced by the apprentices of the First Voice Media Program here at KPFA. We have a very special show for you tonight. We are joined in conversation about Islam from an African-American point of view. Some of the discussion will be on the topics of what is Islam? What are the cultural practices? What is the relationship, if any, between Islam and ISIS? We are your host. I'm Ron Thompson. And I am Zak- and I am Zakia, G-E-K Part. If you just tuned in, if you just tuned in, you're listening to Full Circle on KPFA 94.1 FM in Berkeley. Tonight, We'll learn about African-American Islamic thought and practice. Our guests are Dawan Muhammad, Abdullah Al-Muk Al-Din, who is a Muslim graduate of UC Santa Cruz with numerous course studies in Islamic countries. Also, we have Imam Balayl Ibn Muhammad, producer of Universal News Cable TV in South Bay, San Jose. Imam of All Muslim Islamic Center. Yes, he is and he is the Imam of the All Muslim Islamic Center, specializing in linguistics. Also, we have by phone Namat Shahid, who is a district employee of the Oakland Unified Schools and holds the title of Restorative Justice Practitioner. Welcome, guest. Thank you. Thank you. You know, uh, for many Americans, their first familiarity with Islam is the the memories uh, that Cassius Clay became Muhammad Ali when he converted from Christianity to Islam. And also seeing men professionally dressed in suits and in bow ties uh, as they sold the Nation of Islam newspaper on the corners. Now tonight we will learn from our guests who are all participating American, African-American Muslims uh, We'll learn a greater understanding of Islam. So, Dewan Muhammad. Yes, sir. You have uh, not only studied Islamic history, but you've also written uh, 
a dissertation in inter, interdisciplinary uh, uh, studies at UC Berk, uh, UC Santa Cruz. I'm sorry, as well. Correct. Yes, that's correct. Please provide us with some basic information about Islam and the importance or uh, the, it, and important definitions about Islam. Please. Uh, it is customary for Muslims to seek refuge from the evil and invoke the name of Allah or God before embarking upon any uh, endeavor. Uh, as far as Islam is concerned, I think we have to go back and look at the definition as, as we were introduced to it. And to do that, we have to understand that there's basically two things. Uh, there's the creator, and everything else is a part of the creator's creation. So in understanding the what is called monotheistic faiths, which all professed to believe in one God, then there's one God over everything. And for the Muslim is everything that Allah created was created Muslim. So that's not only individuals, that's everything in creation. So that means the rocks are Muslim, the trees are Muslim, the ocean is Muslim, and the nature that they were created in is Islam. So ultimately people say, well, Islam is peace. Well, that's the nature but it was all created Muslim. That's interesting. Now, I need you to unpack that just a little bit more, please, <laughs> if you will. Because you're saying that everything was Muslim and everything is Islam. And that's a nice little package. That's a nice little envelope. But give me and your listeners a little bit wider Definition, a little bit wider explanation, if you will, just on those two points right there, please. Well, when when I say that uh, everything was created Muslim, that's the this this is the Creator creating everything Muslim, which is in uh, a state of obedience or submission to the will of Allah, and that nature of that is Islam. So, uh, would, that, if that, we want to break it down, it would be a peaceful nature. Yes, that, that explains it a little okay. clearer. Thank okay. you. Okay. So, so, Brother Iman, is there uh, anything that you would like to add to that? Uh, no, perhaps Sister Neema. <laughs> yes, Sister, please. The greetings of peace to you all there in the studio and to our listening audience. I want to first thank you for this opportunity to um, just make some presentations around questions that you may have. And, and let me just say it's an honor. And again, thank you so much. I would concur with our brother Jawan and only add that, you know, the idea of the nature of everything. You know, when we, you know, let's take it to the level of science. When we think about the the basic premise, the basic structure of an of an atom, you know, and even to go further than that, that everything is comprised of a of an element of a structure that's obedient 
to the nature that's inherent in it. And so that is this state that God created everything in. And as we look at creation, there's a particular type of evolution that uh, uh, that is a part of the very structure of things. The rock is structured a certain way. The tree is structured a certain way. Though the basic element remains the same, submissive in its uh, premise or its presentation, we know the characteristics of those things change. And so when we look at that and we come to the human being and we and as we approach the idea of the human being, we see that other animals in creation have the ability to do things and to behave in a certain way that respect the premise and the very nature that God put in it, but it is man, it is mankind, it is women, it's women that then can, in their own free will, say, I will do this or I won't do that in their thinking and in their disposition, but the very structure and nature of the human body still respects that basic element that God put in it, whether that person is a Muslim, a Christian, or a Jew, or they don't believe in God at all, that there's this underlining uh, uh, disposition or structure that, that represents the idea of submitting and being obedient to its very construction. And I would just add that in, in the scientific sort of description. Thank you. Thank you for that. So I'd like to ask... Um, Imam, um, what are some misconceptions about Islam that you would like to dismiss? Well, um, thank you, Zakia, for that question. Mm. The biggest misconception that exists in America is labeling us as Afro-American Muslims. Mm. What it does is it puts it puts Islam on the back end and puts Afro and American on the front end. So this is the first opportunity probably uh, being extended by KPFA mm-hmm. to address that illusion and that misconception or however you would like to describe it. We who are here tonight are descendants of the original Muslims. We are not homemade, home-cooked American Muslims. That's a misconception. We're descendants of the original Muslims, uh, the first Muslims, al-Muslimun al-Awala, that's the first Muslims, al-Muslimun al-what? Asliya, that's the original Muslims. Asliya. So our root goes back to the holy city Mecca, not to Chicago. Uh, And I want to share that uh, those of us who are of this persuasion accept the Arabic language as the original language. And uh, Allah is the name or title associated with the Supreme Being, and it is an Arabic word. Hmm. Is there any part of evolution that plays in Islamic thought? Uh, you have to unwrap that package, as the brother said a few minutes ago. <laughs> it's kind of small package. Yeah. Uh, well, um, I'm, there, you there, just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry yeah, I was just going to say there, there are different schools of thoughts and different theories out there about evolution. And so in, in the way that, that you 
uh, teach in your uh, mosque um, in terms of evolution. Can you just expound on, on that? Perhaps? Yes. Um, we first are learning that the language is primary. And that's why we started off with, um, you know, uh, defining some picture. Evolution deals with outside growth. Involution deals with inside growth. So if you ask us uh, how did we involve or grow spiritually, mentally, or if you ask us how did we physically grow, of course, that would be a base that we would have, say, in the society outside. Our growth goes back again to being descendants of Noah, Prophet Noah, uh, originally Prophet Adam. This is how we trace our heritage. And to anybody that has a short history has a short future. Mm -hmm. uh, now that's um, extremely important, uh, what you're saying, Imam, because a lot of people think of black people, African-American people, as beginning here yes. in America. Yes. And so we are like a tree without roots as far as they're concerned. And so we don't have any history. So this history that you're bringing to us today is absolutely essential. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Sure. You're welcome. Yes. And I think that uh, the question was maybe making some uh, similarities to Christianity where uh, there's always this thought of evolution versus creationism and, you know, that type of thing. Is there anything that you might want to say in that particular vein? Because you did allude to you have the creator and then everything else is his creation. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think that's kind of in the ballpark. But if there's anything else you want to say... Uh, Either of you that might put a little light on that. Well, uh, we we know that the of the monotheistic faith, the the Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are recognized in uh, in that in that order. Mm -hmm. And you know, we don't really relate so much to the concept of evolution as much, but there was. There was a transition that took place chronologically from those through those, and 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 as a result, uh, Islam, being the most recent of those three, was a sort of a culmination and a correction and a cleaning up of what had came before, and I'm talking specifically uh, scripturally. Okay. So if we look at the Torah, the Bible, or the Injil, and the Quran as one book will be able to get a better understanding of the entire, if you want to use the word evolution, but the entire history or of it of it. So different interpretations or a different voice to that same one bit of information. Well, there's. There be many interpretations now as to whether how accurate that they may be, we don't know. But mm -hmm. as far as the uh, 
the three, I mean, looking at if we we don't want to, if, if you read the Quran, you'll notice that it refers constantly back to the other scriptures. Okay. And I think maybe Imam Bilal might have a little bit more on that. Yes, uh, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. The, uh, we're all from the same tree of life. Just different branches mm-hmm. growing off the same tree with the original same roots. Some branches Guys, are high up. We're going to take a music break. Don't Some branches are lower. Some branches on the east side or the west side, which means they get the sun first and others get the sun last. But they're all branches on the same tree, so the viewpoint that is being expressed is expressed from the point that you're located on the tree. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. I would like to ask uh, Namat uh, Shahid, would you like to chime in on that as I well? Would. I would. Uh, I want to go back to the point in question of what are the misconceptions of Islam. Um, you know, I think some of the misconceptions of there, there are many, there are many out there, particularly being uh, broadcast on the media, that Muslims are terrorists. That's a misconception. Muslims are not terrorists. Uh, the misconception that women in um, al-Islam are um, of, of, of a low, held in low value and low esteem. That's a misconception in al-Islam, um, that Muslims are violent, um, uh, you know, a little different than being a terrorist. That's a misconception in Islam. And so when we look at the media, most of the information that Muslims are primarily uh, comprised of a particular ethnic group of, from the Middle East is a misconception. There are Muslims over the entire planet. When we go on Hajj, we see every ethnicity, every cultural group that you can imagine, that you've never imagined, are there on Hajj. So Muslims represent uh, a, a, a beautiful spectrum of, of people on the entire planet. I also wanted just to add a, a note on our brother Dewan made mention to the, you know, the, the uh, Arabic language and, and to draw the audience attention to the, the, the Quranic, you know, the Quran, the book that we read was revealed in the, in the Arabic language. It is not the language that is spoken of on the street. It is a language uh, in its rich beauty, one and once they have begin to study it and their heart opens up to it and they are blessed, they are able to see in a fluid way, like looking through a kaleidoscope, a spectrum of ideas and science and mathematics and history and art and culture and and the solution to problems and ideas as it relates to other scriptures of events that happened in the past. A beautiful illustration and examples of uh, symbols and um, concrete ideas, abstract ideas that just cover a wide uh, uh, library of uh, ideas and concepts and reality that God is presenting for us. And I like to just uh, add that to the table. And finally, the idea of evolution versus creation. You know, I don't think we should say that I, I, you know that's you know that doesn't settle well. But when I think about evolution, I think about one of the names of God is Rab, 
We say, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. The idea of Rab is, and, and, and the basic premise as we are understanding it, is to unfold something that represents the stages that it goes through. Like when a sperm meets an egg, and that then begins to evolve and separate and take on its various forms until eventually a human life is born, and then we grow from that into adulthood, God willing, to old age, we pass, and then the soul then is birthed, and so that there are stages, the idea of Ra, representing this evolution of stages that we see everything in creation going through. The idea of it versus creation, uh, I think that's a whole nother show. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with you, my sister. So at this time, we're going to take a short musical break. We'll be right back. Thank you. to 
Full Circle on KPFA. And we've been talking with Brother Dewan Muhammad and Imam Bilal Ibing and Sister Nimat Shahid. Thank you for being here. The music that you just heard is the art of, uh, is from the Art of End, that LP, and you heard Consider the Source. Imam, Brother Bilal, can you shed a little light on and clear up a misconception that people have about what an Imam is? Well, um, over the many, many years, I haven't had too much experience with uh, any misconception on the title because uh, if you go to any interfaith gatherings, the priest or the minister or the rabbi, and of course if you're Muslim, you have some title. It could be Imam Sheikh or Mullah or Ayatollah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, I don't uh, see our audience um, uh, ch choking on that issue. Uh, what we would like to do, though, is uh, get across the story of our work in prophecy. Because of the secular influence, there's a tendency to not address the revelations and the spirituality very much. Um, and uh, we want to say that um, we want to emphasize on this particular program our heritage so that our audience can at least get an introductory uh, feel for us not just being Negroes with Korans or Muslims trying to be Muslims. Because that's a stereotype uh, that is now uh, the so-called Afro-American Muslims are no longer in the news. They're no longer in the news. Right. You don't see them being addressed as authorities on any high-level profile media. So we're very thankful for this opportunity on Full Circle. Uh, our heritage, again, goes all the way back to Noah. He had two key sons that we know of, uh, you know, that we descended from. Uh, you know who they are? Ham. Ham. And Sam. Yes. <laughs> Ham and Sam. But in Arabic, it's called Ham, and uh, the other one is called what? Shem. Yes. Uh, in English. Yes. Uh, but it's Sam in Arabic. So these, um, one of them went to so-called Africa. And a lot of our people don't know. The word Africa means coward. They don't know that. Uh, they don't know that. They didn't know what Negro meant, which is dead. But, uh, you know, we learn the language, and, you know, you take what you get until you learn better. So... Ham, as it's called, Ham, uh, is said to have um, migrated to what is now called Africa, and there's a descendancy from that heritage. Um, Abraham, Ibrahim, uh, they say, alayhi salam, what they mean is peace be upon him. It's just a, uh, you know, a, a kind of a little dua, a little prayer. Um, he had a couple of sons, Ishmael, and what's the other brother name? Prophet. Uh, in the Bible, it's called Isaac, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so see, you ever heard of uh, the Queen of Sheba? Mm -hmm. Yes. Abraham's grandson was named what? Sheba. You see, they don't tell us these things. And Sheba's the location, they named the city or the territory after him, and the queen happened to come along later after the fact. From that prophecy, in the Bible, 400 years, 
we, descendants of Abraham, would be transplanted and so brought over into the West. And that what we did sense. is we were able to, uh, from that experience, from that experience, in prophecy. And uh, I just, uh, did someone say something about you can't mention religious reverence? No, um, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't hear that. No. You didn't hear that? It came on my mind. Okay. You know, so uh, yeah. we'll see what I'm saying. Uh, we have to be careful. <laughs> because um, uh, 400 years, it's right there. And it said that we will be located in the West. The word is garb. Like Maghreb, you heard of this word? Morocco, these kind of words, yeah. all the same meaning. We will be brought over to the West and we will be in bondage for 400 years. This is the prophecy. This And if you didn't know it was... In the original language, Arabic, in the West, you might think it was in Egypt somewhere. Right. But it's, it's, it's defined there. So after 400 years, we'd gradually be brought out of this situation. The bottom would come to the top. You know the story. Yes. The cornerstone becomes, you know. That's so that's what we wanted to share in terms of getting our identity a little bit more on track from the stereotypical, you know, just having a Quran and reciting a little Arabic right, right. And, and, and riding in the back of the Islamic bus. <laughs> what... Hmm? Uh, what led you to Islam? Allah. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I didn't watch Tom Cruise in a movie or anything like that. Allah is the one who um, blesses us to reclaim. We don't use the word convert or pervert or what's the other word? Revert. Revert. <laughs> we don't use this kind of uh, corrupt, uh, corrupted language. We reclaim. We reclaim. Our own heritage. You follow what I'm saying? So when the when the when the when the truth comes to you and you get introduced, uh, in, or if you get reintroduced, then you uh, open the spirit. And so some of us uh, accepted, some of us didn't. If you ask me about our tribe, my name is Bilal. So I'm a descendant of one of the Prophet Muhammad's companions. If you, which wound up coming out of Syria. Okay, thank you, Imam. Um, I'd like at this time to ask uh, Namat um, if you would talk a little bit about the uh, cultural uh, cultural aspects of um, of Islam, notably the Middle Eastern women and Western women um, type of dress. Um, we talked uh, earlier. Um, you spoke so eloquently about the role of the women in, in, in Islam. And so I'd like uh, you to share some of your thoughts. Thank you. Um, well, let me first say that um, uh, another misconception that Muslim women do not have to wear black all day, every day, everywhere. That is a misconception. Um, and so for our listening audience that may have been exposed to those images and our ideas, they are just not correct. Depending on, uh, as I've been to several different communities and in my travel, depending on where you are, uh, what culture you're um, visiting, uh, the, the ethnicity, um, the fabrics, the colors and the creation, you, that will determine uh, what prints and what style of dress that you will see a Muslim woman wear. It will determine um, what kind of covering she has on. For example, if you go to India, you will find Muslim women in India. The way the Muslim women, the way the women dress in India, is how the Muslim women dress in India. 
with the saris and the long, beautiful fabrics that they wear over their hair. If you go to Africa, you will see the Muslim women there wearing um, the turban wraps and um, beautiful fabrics and beautiful prints. Um, and so continuing with that thought, visiting different countries, you're going to see a reflection of the culture and the dress. But again, when we look at um, how images are constantly being uh, portrayed and how our minds are being bombarded with ideas and images of what something is, we see that this image of the all black is, you know, sort of prevalent or um, a particular style. And that is nowhere, there's nowhere in the Quran, there's nowhere in, in, in the scripture, the last scripture sent to all mankind. It's not the book of the Muslim, where we're all Muslim, but in the sense that we usually relegate the Bible for the Christian, the Torah for the Jews, and the Quran is for the Muslim. This book, this is for all of humanity. There's nothing in there that says we're all black and dress this particular way outside of being modest. Now, again, we, that's a whole other subject around modesty. You know, when a woman is modest and when she isn't, how it affects the culture, how men react to that, what kind of messages are sent, what kind of culture it is, how they view the body. There's a whole other kind of conversation around that and dress. So as a Muslim woman here in America, depending on how I feel, is going to determine what I may have on. I'm going to represent my personality in a way that respects uh, myself as a woman, in a way that respects uh, what God said about being modest and being and representing myself in a dignified way. You can see me in blue jeans, in a head wrap, or a loose scarf, or a long coat, or a long skirt, or a long blouse. There's, it's beautiful. In fact, now when we start looking at fashion, we see that the fashion industry is beginning to make a shift around modesty, around loose clothes, around layering. And we know as Islam, as Al-Islam, has had an effect in history in the past. It is continuing to have an effect in history in a way that's not so announced, a more subtle way. And so Muslim women are able to dress in a way that's beautiful and that's modest in a way that represents who they are as a personality and uh, the creative uh, disposition that they may want to use to do that. Well, thank you. Brother Devon, is there anything that you might want to uh, tack onto that concerning the manner of dress for men? Well, uh, the first thing, I, when, when we talk about culture, uh, dress is one aspect of it. And as far as the, the modesty uh, idea, is, is relates also to men as, as, as it does women. And uh, it's something that we are commanded by Allah to cover. So that that's pretty much just straight across the board. But culturally speaking, there's a lot of things that we're dealing with today that uh, is a deviation from Islamic culture as we understand it. You know what I'm saying? That it, and it, the reason is because of the tremendous desire to assimilate into the Western or the American uh, culture. And some of the people don't realize the subliminal effect that that has on, even if you, for example, if we just take the, the music 
for example, you know, and the rap and hip hop and all that, which is good, isn't it? You know, this it's okay, but if it gets to the point where this supersedes your understanding of your faith and everything, then it becomes somewhat of a problem. What like what we have today is many people feel as though, and I'm talking about Muslims, that you have to go in that direction in order to be in with the vast majority of what's popular in American society. And I have never been in agreement with that, although I don't have anything against it, but I don't have, I've never been in agreement with that because I think that we're, if we're Muslims, we actually are, uh, we actually do our own thing. We, we really <laughs> don't really have to copy off of anyone else uh, in order to, you know, be, uh, get our point across or whatever it is. So culturally speaking, I think that we should look at all the aspects, you know, how we how we walk, how we dress, how we do, you know, what we music we listen to, what foods we yes. eat, yes. And, you know, everything. So this is this is what I would add. Are are there any other cultural influences that are coming out of America spreading easterly? It sounds like you you mentioned rap music and yeah. Well, that, that's that's the you know. Uh, for a music break, guys. Th this is the thing that I, I I was just alluding to, is mm -hmm. the fact that, uh, right in Mecca, across the street from Mecca, is McDonald's and Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> you know, and they got it in Arabic up there, and you know, it, it, and you can see the effect this this mass information age and this high tech approach to getting uh, propaganda out has affected even the Muslims in Muslim countries. Hmm. Okay. And um, so we are going to go to a music break at this time. Uh, please stay with us.
This is Gumbo, the name of that quite flavorful piece from the album Consider the Source. This is Ron Thompson, along with my host guest. Zakia. Yes. <laughs> and we're talking about Islam. And we are talking about the cultural aspects of Islam. And uh, I want to throw that question back to you, uh, Brother Dewan Muhammad. Please uh, express what's on your mind. Well, I talked uh, about a little bit about the various aspects of the culture thing. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I ended up with food. And uh, <clears throat> food is something that... Um, Islamically, we're concerned that based on our instructions from Quran and, and, and our, the Islamic teachings is that we're concerned, especially if, if we're dealing with meats or whatever the situation is, is halal, which is permissible, and those things which are haram, which is not permissible, <laughs> okay? And so uh, in our case, for people who are not necessarily Muslims, it would probably be... Um, uh, the, the people from the Jewish persuasion, the, the kosher would be close, uh, organic. And for the Muslims who are really deep, you know, it's halal organic. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, so the, from a food standpoint, and I'm sure Sister Nehemiah will have something to add to this. The, these are our main concerns Islamically. Yes, thank you. Please, I, Sister, chime in on that. Yeah, so I was wondering, though, if you could just clarify for the audience that does that does not know what halal means? Oh, the first thing I said was permissible. Okay. Haram is not permissible. Mm -hmm. okay. Yes, you did say that. <laughs> and I was wondering if there was more. No. Well, more. let's see if Sister Nehemiah wants to okay. add to that. Well, let me say, that's really good music that y'all playing. <laughs> and, well, thank um, you. <laughs> I have to try to keep myself together and when it comes on, I'm like, wow, that's really nice. <laughs> um... So the idea of halal, you know, there's a process of of uh, slaughtering the animal. Mm. It's a process. It is, and 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 I thought it was a bit humorous that you know halal organic. I'm like, hmm, that's something to think about. <laughs> but um, you know, and, and the Jews they um, practice slaughtering the animal a certain way. And um, so when we think about the process, it involves. Of course, raising the animal and treating the animal with kindness. Um, able, the animal being able to graze and eat and live, you know, in a way that is not like a, a prisoner in a cage and then you're killed in the cage and then, you know, cut up and served to others to eat. And maybe it has disease and of the sort. This is a way, halal is a process that honors the animal and its life it is slaughtered in a way where the animal doesn't see, it, at least it should be, where the animal doesn't see the blade coming. I've heard some beautiful stories around the process. Um, and and then when the animal is slaughtered, we're slaughtering it with the with the, the gratefulness that it's from God that we've had, to, we, we have something that we can nourish ourselves with, a long egg bar. The throat is cut very quickly in a way that then the heart is beating and the blood is pumping from out of the body. We know that the blood is carrying toxics as well. When we, again, re referencing back to science, the animal was slaughtered in that way, and then it is held upside down, and the blood is able to drain out. 
this, you know, in more detail and, and, and not wanting to disrespect the process, there's more detail and a better way to describe it. But in short, that is it. And then, and then I would just say, when we think about some of the treatment of the animals now, how some animals are just maybe knocked upside the head or, or live in a cage, and then after they reach a certain stage of development, then they're slaughtered in cruel ways, and then it's delivered to various supermarkets and stores, and then we feed from that. So halal is a, is a process that respects the animal, it respects God, for and, and, and honors God for allowing us to be able to have something to eat, and then it's a process that, and when we look at it scientifically, it, it the meat is, is tender because the animal isn't in shock. It isn't looking at its death that is approaching them, and uh, and it's able, then the body is still, and because of how it's slaughtered, the blood is being able, it's released in a way that makes it easy um, for those toxics to be removed. How many times have we gone in the store and bought a piece of meat Guys, and then the package is filled with blood? I'm going to stop right there. And leave it. <laughs> so you know, Namat, and you're talking. I'm I'm thinking about the way people are today, and yeah. in, in in the slaughtering of uh, halal meat, it's a very peaceful mm-hmm. method. And I'm thinking that we could have peace, yeah, possibly overnight if everyone would, you know, that eat meat would have halal, mm-hmm. because I believe that. We are what we eat, and with mm-hmm. with all the slaughtering that goes on of the animals, when the animals are in fear, first of all, they're raised in cages and, and inhumane ways. Mm-hmm. It really would make a big difference, I think. Mm-hmm. Thank you Such for it. You're welcome. Such an important point, you know, that that animal is internalizing everything in its flesh at that moment. And when we eat it, we're consuming and in the very structure of the flesh itself, those fears and whatever other treatment that that animal has had. That's absolutely true. Something to think about, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Something to ponder for sure. While we take a look at uh, what's going on in the world and how the world feels about Islamic states and Islamic people, what's happening in the Middle East and how their, uh, what their views are on anyone with a Muslim uh, name or look. Um, What are your thoughts about, say, uh, ISIS or ISIL and what's going on there, Uh, Iman? Well, Sister Niamat, I'd like to hear her her, uh, comments. So would I. Uh, okay, let me tell you in, in all transparency, there is so many wars going on right now on this planet. There are so many disagreements, there's so many conflicts that are happening now and that have happened in the past for various reasons. You know, some of them we understand, some of them we don't understand strategies, wanting to take land, wanting the resources in the land. Just just too many. And and, and I really feel like that if women, and if, I'll, I'll, whoever is fighting, that if women would really begin to uh, be more involved in community and in the structure of community and in the country, that there will be less violence. There will be less fighting. It can be in Saudi Arabia, less fighting. In Africa, less fighting. In Asia, less fighting. In Russia, 
that the conflict, you know, and that's the work that I'm doing now. You have the one who is harmed and the one who causes the harm. And so we can't really point a finger at what's happening concretely. We have to begin to look at what current is running underneath that's causing the problem. And I think one of the things is that women, we really, as mothers, as wives, as daughters, need to be more involved, talking to our men, our brothers, our sons, without fear of thinking that we're a lesser person. Thus, we back up and we just sit and we watch our men, our husbands, and our brothers, and our children be slaughtered. And so for me, the answer is that women need to be more involved in whatever country it is and whatever the war is, that those moments, those quiet moments at home with our men and with our sons, we're having a dialogue that's respected between both sexes about the importance of family and community and that we get involved that way. We see a wonderful example in the 60s. It was the women in the church who became involved and began to gather themselves that made that movement thrust forward. We look at Rosa Parks. We can look at Harriet Tubman. We can look at Sojourner Truth. We can look at every culture and see that when the women become a part of the topic and involved in the process and in the communications and in the activity, then things can restore themselves to their proper balance. And that's what I think, personally. It's out of balance, and as women and mothers and daughters, we need to be more involved. Then we won't have to, you know, particularly identify the problem between this group over here with the Muslims and with the Jews is this. The problem with America and this country is this. Well, I, I personally feel that women need to be more involved. So do I. I agree with that. Equilibrium. <laughs> That's what we're after. Gentlemen, anything you would like to uh, dovetail on what the sister just spoke about? Well, she mentioned uh, the undercurrent. And uh, I think that one of the things that we've talked about in trying to clear up some of the misconceptions is that uh, these things, you know, I, I don't really know a lot about ISIS. Because I can't see, from what I have read and what I do see of ISIS, I can't see where it correlates to what is in Quran or even what uh, the Prophet has passed on. So uh, when I look at that and we talk about the undercurrent, I go back and we look at the history and we say, well, now there has been some... Uh, disagreements and fighting and what have you going on for centuries over some ideas and concepts that are not in Quran. You know what I'm saying? So we have in America the the politicians and the people in America defining basically and creating words and we go back to the language and What's amazing is that the Muslims are buying into it. (laughs) And so we don't really, uh, we're not really defending or, you know, trying to, because all we have to do, we have the Quran. So we just, if it's not there, then we don't really need to be uh, identified with it or identify with other people who want to call us terrorists or whatever the case may be. But yet and still, we have this serious problem of 
trying to compete with the mass media and everybody out there who are making these ideas up and putting them out there. And when you st- in, as a part of the undercurrent, you have the reality of uh, missionaries, mercenaries, and people going into these other countries and starting uh, starting up conflicts and everything. And then all of a sudden, it comes back and it comes back on us, and we're wondering. Really, who started this? Where did this come? It's not here in the book. We don't see it. So this is one of the biggest misconceptions that we deal with uh, in trying to understand all of these various Hamas or whatever these various groups are that are springing boarding up saying that they, in fact, are the real Muslims doing what Allah commanded. And, we, you know, it's clear. It's very clear in the Quran. Got you. Now, in the in the couple of uh, in the minute and a half we have remaining, then since you brought up that point, can you speak to a jihad and and give a little bit of light on that so that people understand that a little better because they hear that all the time in the news, uh, the jihadis, the jihadis that were going on a jihad. So give us a little bit of uh, clarity there, please. Well, the the Arabic word jihad it's uh, you know, which has been uh, translated in English as, as a struggle. Uh, a lot of people may, uh, have put the term holy war on it and, and everything. But we, we don't really identify with that. The, the, the jihad itself is an, is an internal struggle within each individual between doing what's right and what's wrong, basically, <laughs> and good and evil and, and all of that. So we, we don't really look at the outward, as Imam Balah had mentioned earlier. There's a lot of outward things, but a lot of Islam is about the inner struggle, the involution, <laughs> you know, the inside. We need to really focus and concentrate on that. This is what it really is about, and this is what the, the Quran really directs us to. Don't forget to get some last words. Uh, from focus your on. Guest. So the, the point is. Uh, jihad in the regular Western media is designed to give off the wrong impression, the wrong idea of what it really is. Good sister, you get some final words there uh, related to jihad, if you like. Yes, thank you. Um, uh, more about language and misconceptions. This is another misconception, but this is a misconception in the Muslim mind, and those who identify themselves as Muslim in that in the in the proper sense of their language. That there are some narrow minds that read information, that don't have proper understanding of information, that then begin to behave in a way, or maybe they have a mental issue. You know, there are people with mental issues in every religion and every way of life. It doesn't matter how they identify themselves. They're human beings with mental issues who then accept a certain way that they want to live and they behave in a certain way based on their distorted understanding of it. Hence, you get violence and you get wars, you get corrupt activity and all of those things that are plaguing us now. No, we have 30 seconds. And so just be mindful, I would just say to our listening audience, of that when you hear something coming across the airwaves, do your own research on it. Find a person who represents the ideas and is excellent in that way you have a better understanding of Islam. 
Thank you. Well, we've come to the end of the, tonight's show, and we thank all of our guests for this conversation. Our executive producer is on full circle is Miss M. Our technical director is the one and only Free and Franklin Sterling. Joy Moore is our production consultant. We've been your host. I'm Zakia G.E.K. Part, and I'm Ron Thompson, and I'd like to uh, we'd like to thank Josiah Luis. That's Josiah Luis in there on the board for us operating, and uh, we'd like to thank our tech assistants, and we'd like to thank Miss M in there, our executive producer again, and we want you to stand by. Stay tuned for La Unta Bahica. Coming next. Thank you.